don't you just want a little bit of moment here to look at you? <laughs> this is good. Oh, I have missed you. I have missed you. And I'll speak for Heidi and I. We have missed you. We have missed being here, being a part of all that God is doing and being a part of this community. And so I got to confess, last night was a little bit like going to bed on Christmas Eve. Uh, there was no extra hour of sleep for me. I was so excited to get here and to be here with you. Uh, these last three months have been quite the journey, I got to be honest, and I'll share a little bit of that as our morning un unfolds, but uh, I just am so filled with gratitude. I am filled with gratitude for you, and uh, a bunch of us have gotten to shake hands and hug on the way in. Some of us miss that, and it's fair game, like lots of hugs today, fair game, so I'll catch you after the service, and uh, I'm so thankful for you, and um, just kind of taking this in. This feels important. I'm, I'm filled with gratitude uh, for Nate. Uh, Nate, you just did uh, yeoman's work for us, so thank you. God uh, speaks powerfully through his word that you brought to us as a body, and uh, I know our body is thankful to you. I want you to know I am thankful uh, to you, and uh, so thank you. Uh, I want to give thanks to our elders um, in making the decision for me to get these few months off. Uh, they knew that that was taking on extra for themselves. And so to our elders, thank you uh, for the work that you did, the extra that you carried in these days. It cost you, and I'm aware of that. And you love our church family, you love our church body, and you have given yourself freely to this church, and, and you have given me a gift, and I want to thank you uh, for that. Uh, I, am, I am grateful. Um, our staff team is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I have caught glimpses of how our staff has carried uh, the leadership mantle uh, in this church over these past few months, and it has been absolutely beautiful and spectacular. Church, I hope you know you are loved. You are loved and you are well served by a strong team. And even though Joe has only been here for eight years, <laughs> those of you who are new, that's the joke. Like, he has been here for a couple of months before sabbatical began. And uh, so uh, jumped in and provided incredible leadership, both from the platform and with our staff team. Uh, just incredibly thankful for you uh, and your work here and our friendship. And to our staff team for all that you have done to carry extra load so that I might have this time away. You bless me, you gift me, and I receive that as a gift of love that you have given. So thank you uh, to our staff team. Mm. To you as a church, many of you had never even heard of anything like this. A pastor being gone for this long, that's un unheard of. And yet you, you jumped in, you jumped in, you served, you prayed, you were present, you didn't give up. Uh, you've been walking through this. And so as a church family, I say thank you for the gift that you have given me. Uh, it is a good gift and I am grateful to you as my church. And to my family, and to my family, um, thank you. You supported me. Uh, you have loved me. You have given me space. You have drawn me in. Um, I'm just incredibly grateful. For those special little moments that we got throughout this time, I am grateful uh, for the journey that we get to walk together. I am grateful. So, my family. I am just filled with gratitude.
What a journey it's been. This morning, um, one, I, I, I'm, I was excited to be here. I didn't want to put it off any longer. So, so with you here this morning, just a little heads up. I'm not going to be here next week. I'm taking another four months. <laughs> We're just going to try something different. It went so well with me being gone, I figure I should be gone more. So uh, uh, next week, I'm going to be at man camp up at Berea. So it was a commitment that I had made uh, months and months ago, and I'm excited about spending some time with some men up at uh, Berea. Uh, I think there's still space for you to sign up, men, if you want to join me up there. So, but next Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to be up at Berea at Man Camp. So if you come in next week, or maybe you're at home and you couldn't make it in person this week, and you come in next week for the hug, and I won't be here, I apologize. But I will be back after that, and I can't wait to walk forward in this journey with you. So there, there's a, a passage of scripture that's been important to me throughout this. It's something I was ruminating on even before my time away, but certainly during my time away, it was this passage that just kept coming back. And so what I want to do is I, kinda, I want us to reflect on that a bit this morning, on that particular passage. And uh, some of that will come out from some of my own story and, and what my journey was like and but what I want you to do is I want you to think about your journey or even our journey as a church as we reflect on what God is doing here in this. Uh, before we jump into this passage, though, in 1 Kings, I want to just pause and pray for us. So let's pray together. Father, hmm, you're good. You are so good. You are full of love and compassion. Try as we might to, to hide you, see us. Even now in these moments, you see us. You, you see the worry that we carry. You see the concerns of our hearts. You see the ache as we experience loss. You see all of these things. Nothing escapes your attention. Draw near to us in your love today. Reveal yourself to us as we look into your word. Let's be captured by you today. Meet with us, challenge us, stir in us. Amen. Yeah, we've all, we've all got this journey to make. You know, my, my journey has been unique over the last few months, and again, I'll share little pieces of that, but we've all got a journey to make, and even collectively as a church, we have a, we have a journey to take. And while we like for that journey to all be up and to the right, <laughs> it very rarely goes that way. I remember heading into my time away, um, working really hard to get everything ready, and then the moment comes. We close out our worship service on that Sunday. I took some time just to walk through a quiet room and pray for you uh, while I would be gone. I often come out in the darkness of this room and just sit up in a chair right over there and just pray for what God is doing here. And I closed off that time, and my soul was ready to be away. My soul was thirsty. My soul was hungry. And I was tired. And the next couple of days uh, were absolutely spectacular. They were spectacular. Heidi and I got away for a couple of days, uh, had been given some gift that allows us to get away, got, got to, allowed us to get away to the coast of Maine for a bit. And oh, it was so refreshing. Drinking in the sea air, 
There was a, a beach that we would go to early in the morning and watch the sunrise. And uh, it was this particular beach that a lot of the people from the town would come out with their dogs. Heidi and I love dogs. Like, sorry, cat people, we love dogs. And it, we described it as dog soup. The dogs would come and just run on the beach, and dogs are very happy when they get to run in places like that. So that made me very happy. So I'm sitting in my chair, and the dogs are on. It's like this deep breath, and I felt my jaw begin to unclench. I felt adrenaline begin to stop coursing through my body every moment. And I thought, oh, there's hopefulness. Day three, the kids join us, and as we have a fun lunch, reconnecting together as a family and thinking about what the rest of the week would look like, I got an absolutely pummeling phone call that a very dear friend of mine was critically ill. He had collapsed at a beach with his family, young man, young family, dear friend, wise counselor for me, wise counselor for many of you. And as I drove to be with him, to pray with him, to be with his family, figuring I'd be just away from my family for a little bit, and then I'd pray, I'd kind of be with his family, and then he would be well, and then I'd get back to my family and our vacation would resume. But as I drove, I got the phone call that said he didn't make it. And so I arrive at a hospital, and my friend was dead. And his family, wife and four young kids, I needed this time to be refreshing. I needed this time to be good. And yet, I was pummeled into this steep descent into a very dark woods. So between the loss of my friend and walking with those that I cared about through their own loss, family of origin stuff that came creeping up seemingly out of nowhere, stuff that I'd done work with over the years and done good counseling with and experienced freedom with came zooming right back in my life all within a matter of a couple of weeks here. And the descent continued and the woods got deeper and darker, honestly. I'm not even trying to be dramatic with it. I'm trying to, like, I needed this thing to be good. I needed this thing to be strong. I needed this thing to be refreshing. And it felt like I was just standing in the surf and one wave after another after another another kept knocking me off of my feet. And as I entered into this dark woods, honestly, I, I wasn't even sure how to pray in those times other than, dear God, help. That was all I had. Like, I entered that time tired and then just got wrung out like a chamois, and I had nothing. And in that, what crept up was fear, it was the fear of like, I'm never going to get to the other side. I'm never going to get rest. This church is giving me this incredible gift and I'm going to show up more tired than when I left. I'm going to fail all of you. I'm going to fail our staff team. I'm going to fail our elders. I'm going to fail my family. This is what was like a, the accusations here along with the accusations of, honestly, Matt, they're probably better off without you. Honestly, Matt, it's probably better that you're not there, these accusations that keep coming. And I don't share this for sympathy. I'm, I'm painting a picture. What I needed was this, and what I got was this. And it was weeks, weeks, and all I could pray was, dear God, what are you doing? And it was the Lord invited me into a journey as I sat with my counselor, and we processed these things. It says, it seems like God wants to do a work in you 
seems like God is inviting you into a work to pay attention to and maybe even find some freedom from pain, from grief, sorrow, from feelings of rejection and the anger that ensues, the anger that turns inside. Sounds like a good time, isn't it? Like you see the brochure for that trip. You say, sign me up. Like I want to ride that train. Who doesn't want to take a few months to just really soak in grief and sorrow and pain and resentment and anger? Who doesn't want to do that work? And yet that was the invitation of God for me to walk with him in these spaces. And this is where this passage kept, kept coming back to me and I want to read it for us and reflect on it. It's from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. So there's a bunch here to read, but, but hang with me as I do. So this is the moment that, uh, like, Elijah had just had this incredible moment. Elijah was one of the prophets of God. And you might be newer to this journey, and Elijah's a new character for you. He's a great story you can read before this uh, and after about who Elijah is. And he just had this incredible confrontation with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but is the colossal victory of God. It was this high point. It was the kind of thing that in our spiritual journey, like if I, could, if I could catch a glimpse of being in a moment that that is that spectacular for God, that would be amazing. That would be life-making. Walk out of that and say, okay, Lord, take me home. I'm done. I've seen everything that I need to see. Like it was that big of a deal where Yahweh overcame the prophets of the false god Baal and Elijah was his voice piece in that. There was no greater victory than this moment. And so you'd think, this is Elijah, man. He's got the Super Bowl ring on every finger. And, and he's walking out and he's got everything he needs to be confident in God. This is where we pick up with Elijah. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab, who was king, told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Eliza. She tweeted out and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. The threat goes out. And again, in this moment, you would think that Elijah, like he just did this incredible thing. This is the time for him to be like, bring it. Right? Wouldn't you kind of be like that? We experience these high moments with God and we're like, bring it on. Listen to what he said. Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him. I suspect when an angel touches you, you know you've been touched. An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals, and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. 
the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. A couple of things that should stand out for us. The wilderness. He wandered into the wilderness. Whenever we read in the story of God, something about the wilderness, pay attention to this. It was the Israelites a few generations before wandered in the wilderness. Uh, We see Jesus going out into the wilderness right after his baptism. And so we want to pay attention to these wildernesses. God is doing something. The wilderness is The wilderness, these are places that can be scary for us. They can be overwhelming to us. They can be desolate to us. But they are the places where God does something. And so we pay attention. And then here we're told he he walked 40 days and 40 nights. Does this ring a bell for anything? Uh, Previous to this, uh, the story of Noah, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. The story of the Exodus, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. We look ahead to Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. So all of this is building the story that that it might look desolate, it might look alone, it might look horrible, it might look like the place of death, but in this place, God is doing what only God can do. And then he reached the mountain of Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb and Sinai are interchangeable words for the same mountain. And so this was the very mountain that Moses ascended to during the Exodus and received the covenant promise of God for his people. And so this is a place that is known as the place that God resides. And there we're told, verse 9, there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. I love this. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Like, I got this going on. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. Am I the only one left? Excuse me, I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. All those ways that God was doing these things in this mountain, but he was not in the spectacular, but in this whisper, Elijah knew that that is precisely where God was. And he covered his face with his cloak. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. 
and also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, sounds more Hawaiian, to succeed you as prophet. And Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hezael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. There is a journey to take. And what we see is Elijah walked into this wilderness, alone, desolate, captured by his own narrative, that he alone is faithful and that he should just die because there's nothing more for him to do. Captured by his fear. And yet he walks out of this wilderness ungoverned by fear. What we're drawn into, what I was drawn into in this is that in the wilderness, in the place of fear, that is precisely where God meets us. And if we will pay attention In him, we will find rest. In him, we will find refreshment. In him, we will find recalibration for our lives and walk out of the wilderness ungoverned by fear. And so we see this in the story. God gives Elijah rest. You know, sometimes you just need a nap. Right? Sometimes... You just need a nap. Our, we, we, we are whole people. And here's Elijah who had bought this inc- fought this incredible battle, yet he was exhausted. We were wired to need rest. Rest is a part of the rhythm that God has built in. God built rest into the rhythms of creation. On the seventh day, God rested. rested. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall keep the Sabbath day, holy. Work six days, and on the seventh day, you shall Jesus affirmed that in his teachings in the New Testament. The Sabbath is a gift, and resting is not natural for us. Resting is not, it almost feels immoral to us, doesn't it? We live in a world, particularly here in the United States of America, that tells us that our morality is governed by our busyness, our push through, our pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and get it done. Yet God has given us this this place of stopping of rest. In Sabbath, we see these rhythms throughout Scripture. Uh, it, It involves stopping, resting, delighting and worshiping. Rest is woven into the rhythms of life that God has given us. And we see this. Here's Elijah the prophet, big dog prophet in the Old Testament, curls up under a broom tree and takes a nap. Some of you are thirsty and hungry and your invitation is to stop and rest. It was hard for me. The first week, like I told you, kind of went like that. That was hard. And then coming out of some of those stuff, I'm like, finally, okay. It never really even felt like a vacation. Because again, most of you haven't experienced this stuff. You're like, so Matt gets a three-month vacation. 
Not really, but, but it was stopping. I wasn't in the rhythms here, and that was actually really hard for me. There wasn't the get up to work, do these things, go home, like those rhythms. And so even as I was grappling with these other things, I didn't even have the rhythms of life to hold on to because it just wasn't there. And I found myself like almost like it felt like fasting and resting. That's one of the reasons we don't do it. We become so uncomfortable with ourselves. We're uncomfortable with quiet. We're uncomfortable with stillness. At least I am, and I know many of you are also. But as we meet with God in the wilderness, what are these gifts that he gives us is rest. He's done so in Sabbath, and he reaffirms that in Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus is our rest, and he draws us in this. That in Christ, there isn't this striving, this grasping, this, this pushing, this pulling, this conniving, this driving. In Jesus, he invites us into a different way of life that we might know his rest. And as we submit ourselves to him and give ourselves to him, we know the goodness of the one who says, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. As we meet God in the wilderness, he refreshes us. We see that in Elijah's story. The angel of the Lord came and baked him bread and gave him a jar of water. He woke up from a nap and there was some food right there. Must have been a little bit disorienting if you think about it. Like you just sleep and when you sleep, you're kind of groggy anyway. And you wake up, like you got touched by an, Whoa, an angel. Like, what? like that's a little bit weird. And then he says, well, I was cooking for you. What? And it, was, it probably looked a lot like pizza. You know, so it was bread baked on a stone. So that's like brick oven pizza, I'm assuming. And so Elijah pulls up to the pizza and drinks the water. And then what does he do again? He goes back to sleep. Have you ever been so tired you just slept and slept and slept? I remember Heidi and I did a church planters boot camp one time early in our marriage. We were preparing to plant a church. And uh, so we went to do some training. And it was exhausting. It was so taxing. We got back to our hotel after everything was done. We slept literally 16 hours straight. Rolled over a little bit around midnight, see if we wanted to go to the hotel bar to grab something to eat. We're like, nope. And so just rolled over like 16 hours straight. This is Elijah. He was exhausted. He was wrung out. He had nothing left. And yet here, not only was there rest, but there was refreshment, sustenance. The angel of the Lord made him food. Sometimes it looks like a good meal. Refreshment does. Sometimes refreshment looks like good news. There were some special moments that, that I got to have in the midst of this wilderness journey that I took where I got to share a meal with some friends and there was laughter and it was good food and there's something refreshing in the soul in that. There were times that didn't include food also that were just refreshing to my soul. Doing things that are fun, walking in the woods and taking some photographs. I've been getting into to some target shooting and that kind of stuff and going out and do that. I found that to be fairly refreshing for me. And laughter and time with friends. Like friendships that God gives us are richness for us. After dropping Isaac off at college, so I had the time, so I drove with him out to Indiana, dropped him off at college. That itself was so refreshing. I loved that time with him and the conversations we got to have. And then from there, I flew and uh, spent some time with some uh, just a close-knit group of friends of people in Chicago. And these are men who have walked with me profoundly for more than 10 years. They just served me in such a rich way in my time uh, in ministry in Chicago and, and even since 
And so I had called out to them and just said, I'm stuck in this wilderness and I need you guys. And they loved me enough to take the time off of work and meet with me. We sat out by a campfire for probably about four hours one night, another couple hours the next night. They would ask questions and they would probe and they would challenge me. These are not men in my life who just pat me on the back and send me on my way. These are men who do a, participate with God in a deep work in my soul. And as we sat around that campfire that day with me feeling empty, I no longer felt alone. And there was something about the richness of those friendships and other friendships that God has given me that restores, renews, and refreshes my spirit. What does refreshment look like for you? How does God refresh you? Again, Jesus draws us into this. He says in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. <laughs> Jesus says you believe in him, you walk with him, and he will give you rest, he will give you this refreshment. Living water, like when you're parched and you just need a cold glass of water, Jesus says, I will be that for you and it will spring from you into life. Jesus also said in John chapter six, I am the bread of life. And so here the angel had bread cooked on a, on a uh, stone fire and a jar of water. And Jesus says, I am the bread that refreshes you. I am the living water that springs up within you. And so as we devote ourselves to him, as we walk with him, he is the one who refreshes us, both through his spirit, through his word, through the fellowship of dear brothers and sisters. There is a refreshing 